Hey there, folks. Before we start today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, I'd just like to remind you guys that you can check out my daily sports column. It's free by going to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. You can just check out my Twitter to find the link there. Go check out chasethomaspodcast.com. There's a link on that page. Uh, But yeah, go check it out every day. New sports story in your email inbox. Uh, Yeah, go tell a friend, share it out, send it to anyone else you think would uh, like the newsletter. But yes, every single day, go to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Just Google Sports Renaissance Man, Chase Thomas, whatever you're most comfortable with, go do that. Uh, If you are an Apple Podcast listener, don't forget to leave this show a five-star rating and review. Uh, It's important uh, to help the show continue to grow. And last thing, uh, very quickly, but uh, please email me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com to uh, get your mailbag question in or any other questions that you might have about the show, about the column, anything like that. Uh, new mailbag columns go up every Friday. Uh, if you have any questions for the weekly shows that you would like us to answer on air, whether it's John Taylor on Wednesdays, Evan Swords on Mondays, the sports reporters on Fridays, uh, make sure to get those questions in and we'll read them on the show or I'll answer your questions in the mailbag on the newsletter. So, Go do that. Uh, again, that's chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, leave the show a five-star rating and review. Follow on Apple Podcasts if you can. Uh, I think that's it. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to the Thursday night edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am joined by John Alba, a wrestling Twitter I, I, I what should I call you? Wrestling Twitter superstar, wrestling Twitter <laughs> commodity. Um, your background on Twitter is Alba still listens to John Cena's um, what is it? John Cena's CD, the Doctor yeah. of Thogonomics. Right now, yeah, that, that was from an indie show that I worked back in 2018. I think uh, they believe it or not, I have a very punchable face. And, mm. Fans around the independent scene have let me know that, but um, I, I appreciate the more than kind welcome, Chase. It's it's uh, great to be on with you, and uh, I appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate you being here, man. I'm excited because I think we have to start with <sighs> AEW last night. Uh, what did you make of the show? Who were your winners? Who were your losers? I thought it was a great show. Uh, it's pretty hard these days to watch AEW and not feel jazzed up about pro wrestling after you watch it right and i know i'm sure like this will make its way to reddit and like someone will like superimpose my name on a tony khan check or something like that but i i i rarely find myself not enjoying dynamite um i i thought that the three baby faces especially in the six-man tag that we saw, Darby Allen, John Moxley, and Eddie Kingston versus 2.0 and Daniel Garcia. I mean, I thought everyone shined in that match, but especially the three the three baby faces coming out of that. Um, felt a little let down with the Hoovy and Chris Jericho match. I'm not going to lie. I didn't feel like their chemistry was all there, but I had a great finish to that. And uh, Miro looked like a million bucks. And then you talk about just a star-making performance in the main event. Uh, in five minutes, they did more for Malachi Black than the WWE main roster did in a year and a half, two years. So it was pretty incredible to see that. Yeah, I mean, let's start with the main event in that ending. I don't think any – like, you did not get any hint that that was coming, right? No, I mean, I 
I had been given some hint that Cody might be doing some sort of angle. I guess the uh, AEW community fan page had been sent a message that was pretty much echoing Cody's promo. But uh, listening to Cody on the media call the other day, I'd, I'd gotten this weird sense that he might be taking some time off. And, and that is certainly what's happening here. And what better way to do that than to pay it forward in a big way for Malachi Black, the former Alistair Black, Tommy and just getting a dominating lights out win in five minutes. It's a good reminder that wrestling doesn't have to be long. Like a good match doesn't have to be real long. That's like one of the reasons I've always enjoyed Lesnar and Goldberg. And I'm like, no, it's an, tonight's difference. Like some guys just don't need to have 17 minute matches. Like sometimes you don't need to do the Gargano stuff. Like sometimes you need quick bursts to balance out these shows. And like, you need stunner sometimes, like the upsets. And it wasn't like it upset in the traditional sense, but it was just like the crowd shots were incredible. Like people were absolutely stunned at what just happened. Like he gets knocked off uh, the, the top rope into the chair, into the table and he climbs out of it and he barely gets back in. And then Alistair, Alistair, this is going to take a while to get over that. Uh, Malachi Black just lifts him up for black mask and that's it like he pins him in the most disrespectful way possible that you used to do in WWE 2k games and you're just assuming he's going to hop up and because there's time left that's the other thing is like there's time left in the show so you just assume that it's running to the end of the show um and it doesn't and malachi just wins and that's it and cody is knocked out and that's the angle is malachi came he was right he needed to get rid of cody he's better than cody cody just didn't have it did and that that was great and the crowd was just stunned like sometimes you just need to do those stunning moments where it's just like a defy a, a decisive star making moment and malachi just came off he is now a top guy in this company yeah and i find it pretty funny when i hear people say that that cody puts himself in the spotlight which he certainly does but that he doesn't pay it forward i mean cody has made three people mm -hmm. in company short light span between Darby Allen, Brody Lee, and now Malachi Black mm -hmm. uh, in, in three pretty substantial matters, especially the Brody Lee situation where he just destroyed Cody and he became a made man out of that and obviously a tragic situation there. But what we've seen so far with Darby Allen and the superstar that he's become, it's very much a result of Cody's selflessness and then what we got with Malachi Black on, on Dynamite this week, I, I just thought it was so effective. He's, I forgot who it was that tweeted, but front of the pod, Mike Pellucci quote tweeted, I forgot who it was that put it out. Maybe it was Dave Schilling, but like Cody does emotional matches and emotional moments better than anybody. Yeah, it's hard to argue against that. There, there's very few people who can touch him on that. And there will be some people who will be dissenters and, say oh well you know he's he milks it and it's it's too much and it's always about him but you're not wrong i, I think he does build up those moments perfectly he's a great storyteller the crowd eats it up too it's the combination where he doesn't change and like he is he he has a lot of the john cena stuff in him where he's not going to change based on crowd reactions and stuff like that he's going to be who who he is and it works like cody is not everyone's cup of tea in the ring like he is not always my cup of tea in the ring but like he registers a reaction and his matches are emotional his matches are fun his storylines outside the qt marshall stuff which just that wasn't his fault that didn't work that was putting qt marshall in a big spot that didn't work and by and large he's a star making guy i did think it was interesting though that he did cite the evp 
elite stuff. And I also think he brought up something that is going to be very, very, very important for AEW going forward because especially with CM Punk and Brian Danielson, I guess is what he'll be in AEW when he comes in. Like what this is going to be, and you're seeing that with Cage a little bit. You're seeing that with Miro when he first came in. And you're going to see that maybe if Adam Cole is gone for SummerSlam and he joins his his girlfriend DMD, like there's no room. Like you can add Rampage, but there's no room at the top of this card. And I don't I, like you still have young guys. Like you have Phoenix, you have Pack, you have guys all over the place that haven't gotten a turn at the top or really haven't gotten that elevated push. Like they're not mistreated, but they're also they've never been given an opportunity really at the top of the top of the card yet. Um, it's been Mox and Omega, and rightfully so, because they're the two best in the company. But I do think the more they add, and it's good talent, it's the best show, best company, all that's true. But I do wonder like when people start to get a little frustrated. And Cody like stepping away and him mentioning that like I've been all over the billboards and I've been all over the shows for three years, like that can't continue if you want to keep these guys happy, right? I, I don't know if it's so much about keeping guys happy as it is finding a spot for everyone when mm. you don't have as many TV hours as, say, a WWE does, even though AEW does have a lot, if you count Dark and Dark Elevation and now adding Rampage. I think it's having a loaded roster of talented people is a good problem to have. And those top guys will rotate in and they'll rotate out. And sure... You can say right now, I really want to see Jungle Boy in the main event consistently. But Jungle Boy is 22, 23 years old. He's going to get his time. He's got 20 years to get his time. In the WWE landscape, we see Roman Reigns finally hitting his stride as a main eventer right now. He's 36 years old. You know, it doesn't happen immediately. So I'm okay if you have a lot of talent that you're trying to find spots for as long as you're making that concerted effort to put proper build into talent, accentuating their positives, hiding their negatives, and eventually things will work themselves out on a rotational basis. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, was there any, like, it's interesting with the Hoobie stuff that you mentioned at the top. Uh, that didn't work. That didn't work for most people, it seemed like. But I also think it's like one of those weird ones where the crowd didn't know what to do, right? They liked Jericho, but I think they liked that Hoobie was back, but he's backed by MJF. So you're not supposed to cheer for him. Right. It was kind of, you know what I mean? That was kind of a weird position for Hoobie to be in because. Nick Gage was clear, like, he's just in there to be uh, the guy who does hardcore stuff. Like, that, that was his thing, and just do crazy shit with Jericho. But, Hoobie's just different, and I didn't think... I thought crowds just didn't know what to do with that match, right? Yeah, and I just didn't think they had great chemistry anymore. Uh, something seemed a little off with Chris Jericho physically for me in this match. And and Hoobie, he I mean, he still looked great, but I just didn't think they clicked. Sometimes guys just don't... Yeah. Click and that happens, but Rhea Ripley Oscar is a good example. Sure, but they saved it with the finish. I thought the finish was great, and they're going to do Wardlow next week, and I'm really curious what that fifth labor is going to be. I'm I'm genuinely very interested in what that could be because there's a few different directions you could go with it, and uh, it, it will line up with the 
Chicago Rampage, which just makes you think. But I, I'm not sure if that would be the best position to make that debut happen. So I know, because he has to lose, right? In theory, right? So uh, it, it could be interesting where they set things up. But um, I, I just, I, I've been entertained by this Labors of Jericho storyline. And yeah, you, you didn't hit a home run this past week. Hopefully you do next week. Wardlow is a very talented pro wrestler. So I, I'm excited to see what he can bring in, in a high profile spot there. What are What is WWE losing in Bray Wyatt? Well, you're losing someone who is an immensely talented, creative mind, someone who has consistently reinvented themselves effectively only to see the fruits of their labor go to waste. And it's unfortunate. It is what it is. That's pro wrestling. Sometimes you don't capitalize on something that's hot. Sometimes you do. And are they losing an all-time generational talent in the ring? Probably not but they're losing an all-time generational creative mind. Mm -hmm. And where he will be used next, I don't know. I don't know if AEW is the landing spot for him. I don't know if Impact or Ring of Honor or or wherever it may be. I'd love to see Wyndham Rotunda go go to New Japan and inject some life into that product uh, that has suffered in the last year. I think he could be a very valuable asset to that company. Uh, Maybe he wants to step aside from pro wrestling for a little bit. I don't know but he's a valuable creative asset and producer to whatever company that he could go to. And truthfully, that's where I think he can shine. See, that's what's interesting is I think his best situation is as a creative mind, like him behind the scenes in AEW. Like that would be, like he, he's never really done it for me as a worker. Like his, his matches just, he's like one of those guys, Karrion Cross suffers the same problem where the entrance, the character, the appeal, the music everything is cool there's something cool interesting about them but then when they get in the ring you're like oh this is just they stick out they're just not not an elite worker they're not adam cole they're not gargano they're not the they're not omega they're not moxley they're not whoever like they just don't they don't work like that you you just think about the bray wyatt randy orton wrestlemania match and it's just like it's just not there you have to do a very distinct style to make this work um but everything else is great so i think wyatt does sir like I was just stunned, I guess, more than anything, too, is that, like, he seemed like a WWE lifer. And if he's getting released, I <laughs> I, I just, he's young, he's still 34, just entering his wrestling prime. Cody said he's a special talent, so we'll see what that means. But, like, maybe he's just happy with JoJo, and he has young kids. Maybe he just steps away. He's probably made a bunch of money. He might just be like, I'm going to go live in the swamp forever. <laughs> I'm just going to go. Yeah, you know, I don't like to speculate on mm. anyone's personal lives, which I know a lot of people have done with Wyndham Rotunda, and I'm not really in the business of that. I don't know what his aspirations are. I hope he stays in pro wrestling because I do think he's a very valuable asset to wherever he's working. I think that he is a valuable in-ring talent when he's presented in the right way and with the right situation. I think The Fiend being this impenetrable character who doesn't sell was a major disservice to him. And that was harmful for that reason. But I I think that he does add value and merit to wherever he is. So I I hope to see him back on his feet with a major company. Uh, But we'll see. I I don't know what his personal aspirations are. 
Adam Cole, would you prefer him staying in WWE and getting a call up, or would you prefer to see him in AEW? I don't really look at it from a perspective of what would I prefer. Mm-hmm. I think you have to view it from what makes most sense for him. Adam Cole is someone who has been incredibly protected in NXT. He has been positioned well his entire run, probably better than just about any other talent that has come through the NXT system. And on the main roster, there are a lot of matches that you could go do with him that would be really intriguing matches. Certainly, he and Randy Orton, he and Drew McIntyre. Uh, There are matches there that present some really cool opportunities. How would Adam Cole be presented on the main roster? Would he be disenchanted because he wouldn't be presented in the same way that we'd be expected? Would he be disenfranchised by the idea that he's not a tall guy? Adam Cole and I are about the same height. And in the land of giants, sometimes that hurts you. Even though we've seen that been uh, rectified in recent years a little bit, it, it still does hold true. Um, but there are great matchups out there. He and Kevin Owens, obviously, of course, two best friends. So does he want to go that route, or would he want to go to AEW where you can have these multi-layered storytelling matches with the likes of the Elite? He could be with his girlfriend. There's a lot of possibilities out there, and that's why I think he holds more leverage than just about any other prospective free agent that we've seen during this proverbial war between these two companies. So I think he's going to leverage himself into a real nice contract wherever he chooses to go. Yeah, I am... I'm fascinated. I'm big bit of Adam Cole guy, so I hope hope for the best there. Um, if you were in charge of fixing Monday Night Raw, how would you do it? I think the first answer everybody chooses is get rid of that third hour, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's just a drag of a show every single week. It makes pay per views feel longer, and it makes your TV show feel less special. I think two hours has proven whether it's through SmackDown or Dynamite or any of the, uh, these other programs that two hours is a very digestible time to watch pro wrestling. So that would be my first change. Um, I, I would be getting rid of week-to-week rematches. I think it was WrestleNomics that published uh, a study that found uh, during a period of time watched, I forget what the period of time was, but it was at 40% of WWE week-to-week matches or rematches. Mm. That didn't help you in any way because what's the incentive to tune into that to a match you just saw? Um, and I would trade, or I would get rid of trading wins. Trading wins devalues your your talent. It tells you that wins and losses do not matter. And if I'm watching something that purports itself as a combat sport, any sport, wins and losses are supposed to matter, right? So anything that presents itself as sport, it should also matter in that sense too. Yeah. Do you what do you make of the it just being a show of kind of goobers where it's like everyone's funny <laughs> where <sighs> Monday Night Raw just has so many problems like the notes I take it's just there's so many things that would have to get fixed like the contenders match where you have to beat some beat the champion to get yeah. like stuff like that where it's just so tone yeah. deaf like it's one of those shows where it's like this company is just like Vince McMahon it's like a cliche to just say he's out of touch but it's like and it's also just like he's so out of touch with this show but smackdown's a delight like i can very much enjoy smackdown every week smackdown's fun smackdown's good 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I think SmackDown has some issues too, but it's generally an easier show to consume because it's shorter. And mm. what? They also have the biggest star in the company on that show, and that helps. And you have another big star in Edge and Seth Rollins, these guys who are established as stars or at least big names in pro wrestling, and, and that's that's a big asset to help, whereas Raw feels like it's kind of lacking that right now. Um I laugh you say goobers because that's a term we used for six years on my Living the Gimmick podcast that mm. we just wrapped up. But um, yeah, and and the the number one or rather the uh, non-title matches that's something I'm always going off on. I, I hate non-title matches, combat sports. If you're a champion, the title is on the line, and you don't just lose. So beating your champions doesn't exactly enhance their value. It doesn't tell you that they're big stars. So I, I do have a big problem with that, and and I'm with you entirely on that front. Yeah, I. They also just need baby faces that fans like. I, this is something I noted across the shows, and I've talked with different wrestling people about this in this very podcast. Where it's like, and I want to get your perspective. Where it's like, AW has a lot of people that you can cheer for, right? You have Mox, you have Darby. Even if Kenny Omega is dominating things, you have Hangman Adam Page. It's Roman Reigns. It's Bobby Lashley. It's Karrion Cross. It's a lot of dominant. It's Sheamus. It's Paul Cruz. It's AJ and Omos. It's just dudes. Uh, now the Usos. It is heel focused, and part of that was good with the the pandemic. I think the Thunderdome was better for heels than it was for baby faces. But it is like Raw is so devoid of top fun babyface talent that like that's the biggest thing it needs it needs people like nikki ash is not it nikki ash is a disaster like i write this down where i'm like they are putting this she could be something if they took it the very slow route with her and let fans get into her character let her do this stuff but like the blind side attacks to charlotte losing clean to charlotte be her logic being extremely flawed every week charlotte being right every week it's the dumbest way to get Nikki Ash over. And it it's just it stinks. And um I don't know. Like I just I think they just Becky Lynch is obviously the easy answer, but it seems like she's going back to SmackDown. I don't know. They just need some baby faces that fans can latch onto, right? Like that would be a huge help just right there. Just to have a couple people like a page or whoever that fans really want to see beat Lashley. There is no one on this roster who feels anywhere close to being at a point where you're like, I cannot wait to see this rise in with them beating Lashley, right? Yeah, your promotion is really only as successful as the baby faces that you build. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of a general rule of thumb in pro wrestling in general. It's, it goes back to Dusty Rhodes. It goes back to Jerry Lawler and, and even before that too, Bruno Sammartino. And that's people pay to see baby faces at the end of the day. So if you are lacking those strong baby faces, then inherently you're going to have an issue with fans buying into your product. And I feel bad that Drew McIntyre was kind of on the cusp of that right as the pandemic started, where it felt like Drew McIntyre had that hangman page momentum going and people were really buying into him. And then you know, he had this run during the pandemic in front of no fans, and then he got beat clean at WrestleMania, more or less. So that does hamper your baby faces just a little bit. And they have a chance here 
to do something real nice with uh, Big E. I, I think Big E is someone that you can certainly build some organic momentum around. He's a guy who's kind of universally beloved by fans. So I, I hope that they harness that. I don't want to see a traditional cash-in by Big E. I'd like to see him call his shot and say, hey, at this pay-per-view, I, this is when I want you, Roman Reigns. This is when I want you, Bobby Lashley. That's how you build a babyface that fans can get behind, and, and I think they have a chance to do that right now. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Um, do you think Cena has a realistic shot of beating Roman at SummerSlam? Uh, no, I don't. Hmm. I don't think John Cena is the guy to beat Roman Reigns. Um, I don't think that would be all that beneficial in the long term. Maybe it's a short-term Band-Aid, but... I th- and I also didn't think that was very babyface of John Cena how he got this match in the first yeah. place. I think there's more wheels to the wagon with someone like Finn Balor or specifically, in my belief, Kevin Owens uh, being the guy that, that takes that off Roman Reigns ultimately. Um, if it's Big E, maybe you move the New Day over to SmackDown and you have those great epic feuds with the Usos and the New Day again. And maybe there's a route there. There are guys who would benefit more from it than John Cena. I agree. I agree. Um, last thing, and we'll wrap up here tonight. I ask everybody now. Drew McIntyre. Are you a believer? Are you a Drew McIntyre guy? Or are you on the correct side of things? And um, not a Drew McIntyre guy. Why would I not be a Drew McIntyre Oh, no. Oh, tell no. Tell, get, tell me the antithesis. Oh, no. Why, why why, would you not be a Drew McIntyre guy? Um, so part of it's not even Drew McIntyre's fault, where he has been booked better than any babyface has been booked sure. consistently. He was, he was given some Hulk Hogan protection during the course of his initial title run. Yes. And it's never been more undeserved for a professional wrestler in my lifetime. It, I, it's not like that is an asinine statement there is so many better op- like keith lee would have been a better option you had so many guys like on nxt and across the board who you could have used to protect finn balor whoever it is like there are so many people over the years that i've been like just protect them just do this and you can keep this thing going and then they finally protect somebody like a hulk hogan like you said and they chose a c plus guy whose oh. gimmick is I have a sword now. He was attempting murder this week um, on this episode. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you that the recent booking of Drew McIntyre's character has not been great between the the sword and and the history lessons and all that. But uh, to call Drew McIntyre a C plus player, I, I strongly question your ability to evaluate pro wrestling talent. There, Chase. Um, with all due respect, I think Drew McIntyre brings a ton of accolades to the table for wwe i believe he's a strong promo i believe oh no i believe he looks like a million bucks i believe he's a believable promo as a babyface as well when he's not talking about goofy stuff Mm -hmm. you know the goofy stuff i think we can all agree on but those aren't words that are authentic to him Uh, the the stuff that we saw drew mcintyre as a believable babyface champion was i won't back down to anything uh that that babyface that we saw not being afraid of brock lesnar um, I, I thought that was all great babyface material stuff. He's a great in-ring talent. And he's, mm. a great, he's a great company ambassador. Um, Drew McIntyre picks his spots when it comes to selling. And and I think it's what's really unique with Drew McIntyre that I'm always fixated with his matches is he is a bigger guy. 
And he he is someone that you look at him and you say, believably, he's someone that I believe could win. But when he is selling, he gives a lot to his opponents in the process. He's not afraid to go that extra mile to make him look like he's in distress in order to accentuate the positives of his opponent. Uh, and he's a great company representative. I, I think Drew McIntyre is a major, major player in pro wrestling. And I, I agree with you that his recent character has not been great. And I have not enjoyed this feud with Jinder Mahal in particular. But I think he is a major asset to WWE at the end of the day. Uh, and he's a stand-up guy, too. He's someone I've had many a conversations with, and I find him to be nothing but a treat to talk to. So uh, I guess we'll agree to disagree on that one, Chase. I mean, that's why I would always feel bad, because Mike, friend of the pod, of the, formerly of The Athletic, and different friends of mine, who Derek Montilla loves him as well, of um, the Steel Cage, and we all talk about it. Like, he's... By all accounts, like the nicest dude behind the scenes, good dude. That's why I can never meet him because I would just feel bad about being as hard as I have been on him over the last two years. As a entire, it's all just on the professional wrestling stuff where I'm like, I've watched this my entire life, and this person is in a spot that like I would have done anything for Christian to get this spot in 2008 when he was red hot, and I would have done just there's just so many guys like punk could have gotten this spot like there are all kinds of dudes during my lifetime that i was just like booker t when he was feeding with triple h like protecting him in this way like there were so many people that i was like oh they could be a star if they're booked and protected this way and they finally do it for drew mcintyre and i just was bamboozled when he's in the back room with the legends and they're looking at him like the next hulk hogan and i'm like what what am i missing here what 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 has happened what is i don't know what you're missing because i I look at drew mcintyre and to me he checks off pretty much every box that you could possibly want in a top pro wrestling name and i i I do question your judgment there chase but i respect your opinion um i I just uh i don't know i i don't know what you could really dislike about drew mcintyre other than Again, I think this recent tweaks to his character that we've seen are, are certainly fair criticism. I don't know. I don't know. We're on separate. We're on separate. Uh, separate. Uh, degree. I don't even know what I'm trying to say right now. It is twelve thirty, um, East Coast time. That's all I've got, John. What can uh, What can we look out from you across the internet this week? I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> the way wrestling news is, it's breaking by the day mm-hmm. um, you know you can follow uh, along on twitter at john alba j-o-n-a-l-b-a you can catch any any news i break there but also uh follow along to some of my independent wrestling ventures which are always entertaining i proposed to a a woman's wrestler that she joined my stable this week with a ring pop you never know what's going to happen so you can check out uh, some of that work over in Limitless Wrestling and across some other promotions that you can find on IWTV as well. All right. Well, keep up the great work. Thank you so much for making the time. I greatly appreciate it. Don't hate me for my Drew McIntyre questions. I, I don't hate you at all, Chase. You're a good dude. You're a stand-up dude. I just It would be a shame if I shot a DM to Drew McIntyre right now. And okay. So. I would love to get an hour with drew mcintyre on this podcast like i would I love to pick his brain person. yeah i hope it wouldn't be in person because he might kick your ass <laughs> <laughs> <My point. laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, it's well deserved. I've been hard on him. I I don't know. Everyone I've talked to in wrestling who knows him are like, oh no, he's great. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I can never meet him because then I'd feel guilty about my my takes. Yes, and you should. <laughs> Thank you so much, John. Appreciate it. The Thursday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast rolls along where I am now joined by my good friend, Will Warren, Stats by Will, Young Kim Palm, however you would like to describe Will. Will, good evening, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm always honored by the description of Young Ken Palm. Uh, I would like to challenge Ken to a three-point shooting contest, but maybe I wouldn't because I think Ken might beat me at this rate. I have not been hitting lately. Well, is he is he a good shooter? Have you seen him shoot? What's his form like? No, I haven't. I would love to see Ken uh, do a shoot around. I think it would just be interesting to watch. Mm. It can't be any worse than Clipper Daryl this week. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, just after we're recording, look up on Twitter, Clipper Daryl. Um, <laughs> it was it was it was bad. He had a chance to win like a hundred dollars. And all he'd do is make one of these three free throws, and he airballed all three, and it was is is oh, bad. No. It was bad, Ugh. bad. I don't know. I've been. Have you been to games like I guess with you going to Preds games and stuff like that? But have you ever been and just see these fans like really, really embarrass themselves? I remember I was at a Hawks game years ago, and this dude went in and he was airballing three after three he missed like a it was like one of those where you start out at the at the rim and you move back yeah. and he struggled with the rim and then he moved back airballed the free throw took him some time there and then couldn't even come close to the nba three and this is not like a kid this is a grown man and i was just like i would not show my face for for years i would just become a hermit like it was one of the more like the cringiness but i'm like maybe non-sports people don't look at it that way like oh you know it's hard and I, I, I for me i was like oh this is insane why would you agree to this why would you agree to this public humiliation because you know those people have to know right like you cannot get shots up and that this is going to go poorly for you yeah see the the rim free throw three uh half court competition is always great because i mean like tennessee does it and i've seen people airball free throws which is always heartbreaking mm-hmm. uh but a little fun story. I worked a little, just a small basketball camp this past spring. And one night they did like that competition for the campers. And then after the campers are done, cause nobody hit the half court shot. They're like, all right, now the counselors get to do it. And, uh, on my second try as time expired, I hit the half court shot, uh, did a little Sam Cassell celebration. No, you didn't. Uh, <laughs> I did. And you did the big ball celebration. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, when at you a hit camp the for kids shot, yeah well they're like 13. x-rated they stats by will over here <laughs> but the well i mean when i hit it it's uh-huh. like everything else about where i'm at and everything just goes out the window because i was the only person to do it so i was really you know jacked up uh-huh. uh, it kind of had an out-of-body experience for about <laughs> two seconds yeah i mean i had like more my fun mask on took the mask off tossed it across the gym mm. obviously ran to pick it up but <laughs> It was a great little 15 second run of time. There's not a better feeling than like, we'll never recapture this because we're old now, Will, but like <laughs> the the experience of winning a game of gotcha, like coming yes. from behind or like 
knowing that you were about to go down because they have it at the rim and you just jack up a three and it bounces in before they're like that that euphoric feeling we're too old for all this that's gone there's no gotcha for adults no they don't tell you this when you're younger that that's just gonna be something you don't do anymore (laughs) it's it's unfortunate uh Will, before we get into our Big 12 preview, which will not include Chaga Smart because he is at Marquette, um, and also a Texas Tech coach who has been like an administrator and like we just moved on and like he's, I, I have no idea what to think there, but he did get some good transfers, but all that. But I'm excited to talk about the Big 12. Um, COVID seniors returning. So there are so many. Did you see this piece in SI.com about all the different ones? And there will be a player who will break the NCAA uh, games appeared in stat. Have you seen who that will be? Who would you guess without looking? Or do you already know oh, the answer? I wish it was John Fulkerson, but I know it won't be. No, who's um, guess though? Give me a hint. Is this like a big six conference guy or a mid-major? Big six. Ooh. God, I hope it's Brad Davison. Everybody hates Brad Davison at Wisconsin. It's not. Do you want me to tell you? Yes. Jordan Bohannon. Okay, yeah, that that lines up because that does feel like he's been there for eight seasons. All he has to do is be there. He has to appear in fifteen games, and he breaks okay. former Ohio State guard David Lighty. God, David Lighty was there forever too. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, this makes sense. Well, he also this is it. Like you, this is a record that some records were made to be broken, folks. We're watching the Olympics right now. Records broken all the time. This is never getting broken ever again because of the COVID aspect. Like this man got an extra year because of all, like, unless there's another pandemic, which uh, let me check my notes here. Nobody wants, let's hope not fingers crossed, not two in our lifetimes. Um, this is done. Like he is going to be, the, he's going to be a trivia answer for the next hundred years. Yeah. And I think, it, well, the fun part about this is a lot of schools, I think are going to have players that set records. Like I know Fulkerson is going to set the record for Tennessee this season, mm. But I, I would imagine there's probably, I mean, like a conservative estimate, 40 to 50 schools where something similar to that is going to happen, where there's going to be like a mid-major player who, you know, it's either this or like insurance sales or whatever. And he just comes back and, you know, plays in his 163rd game of his career. Like, I, I think that's all on the table. So I, I'm really excited to see. Because, like, for Fulkerson specifically, just because he's on the brain, this will be his sixth college season, which you very, very rarely see uh, in college hoops. I know, I know, like, we've seen it a couple times in college football, but uh, basketball, very rare to see this. Yeah. Well, the list um, of other super seniors, whether they're staying at the same school or they transferred, um, who stands out to you the most? Is it Remy Martin at Kansas, who we'll get into? Kellen Grady, we talked about at Kentucky. Is it Brady Manick at North Carolina? Garrison Brooks following his dad to Mississippi State. Is it Eli Brooks at Michigan? Is it Taz Sherman, an all-time great college basketball name, Taz Sherman? Trent <laughs> Frazier at Illinois. Our guys, Nate Johnson and Paul Scruggs at Xavier. Uh, who, who tops your list here? And also, I'd forgotten that Richmond was supposed to be good last year, and then everything with COVID just screwed them, and now this is kind of it for the Gilliard golden uh ko situation there yeah that was like a that was a weird deal where you know after that kentucky win i think mm-hmm. everybody was like they're gonna be a top 20 team and then i think unfortunately for richmond it got an it got kind of revealed that kentucky just wasn't very good but i mean like they'll be fine but to answer your original question eli brooks is a personal favorite i've loved watching him just be him at michigan he plays a very specific role and does it well um 
If I had to pick out a couple, I know we've touched on Colin Gillespie in a previous podcast on the Big mm. East, uh, but along with him, Geo Baker at Rutgers uh, is another like Jordan Bohannon eighth-year senior guy who I feel like I don't think I've seen a Rutgers game in the past decade where Geo Baker hasn't played in it. Mm-hmm. So I am really looking forward to see what more he can do there. Uh, but transfer-wise, I think we'll get to him here in a bit, but Remy Martin might be the most important of the uh, super senior transfers. Well, we'll get to it. Kansas, optimism. Um, that program needs it. Not a, not a lot's gone right for them in our lifetime. <laughs> they it's good to see an upstart like kansas get some get some good luck in the transfer market um, i think it's it's fair for them to have this when their football program is what it is true but lance leopold i'm very high on him from buffalo he's a good get i i would have stayed at buffalo he had a good thing going i would have just like waited up for the syracuse job or something i would buffalo look, also an underrated city never been it's a cool place underrated really yeah, I have a soft spot for the uh, kind of ignored slash widely despised cities of the Midwest and Northeast. So Detroit also on that list. Wait, so what is your number one? Like you're you're out on this city. Who? Which city can you have you disliked the most in your that you've been to? Disliked the most? I will. This is a really hot take, but mm-hmm. uh, I really do not like Charlotte. I mm. find Charlotte to kind of be everything I dislike about New Nashville. Like. It, I don't know. Charlotte, when I think of Charlotte, I think of like 28-year-old bankers named Brantley. And that's <laughs> mm-hmm. just like the overall vibe I get from that city is it's banker haven, which if you're into that, if you work for that, great. But not for me. Kind of a soulless city. And while I haven't been, I've heard, a, I have heard a lot of bad about Dallas. But mm. I would I would like to visit Dallas before I say something bad about it. I think you're a person, I mean... It, if young Kim Pom doesn't work out, like you should deliver bad news. You're a good person to deliver bad news. Well, because I think it would be well-received. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like you could tell me I was fired and I would be like, Oh, thanks man. I appreciate that. Like, I don't know. You just said, like the way you just called Charlotte a soulless city. It was, it was really nice. <laughs> it came off nice to me. Oh, I hope nobody from Charlotte is listening because no, I definitely have Charlotte listeners. So we'll I could see have how. A target on my back now. <laughs> I mean, I know the demographics on my city, so yeah, there's some people in Charlotte. Shout out to you guys. Uh, that was not me. That was stats by Will. So add him, not myself. Um, <laughs> I'm also more of an Asheville person. If I'm going to North Asheville Carolina, Asheville is cool. It's a nice little town. Um, North Carolina, the best North Carolina city, personally, is Wilmington. Mm-hmm. I was almost build uh, build. I was almost born in Wilmington. I seem to recall. It's a cool little place. Oh, well, I, I would like to go to Raleigh slash Chapel Hill slash Durham as well. Mm-hmm. I just haven't spent any time there, but yeah, that would be uh, bucket list. That Have seems like the Chapel game? Hill specifically seems like the epicenter of cool in North Carolina. Yeah. Have you been to a UNC or Duke game? I have not. That's on the, uh, the bucket list. Maybe this season. Okay. This seems like it would be a fascinating season to go to either game. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is it to see Coach K. This is it to see Coach K, and it's uh, the only, I mean, you get to see a new coach at UNC in year one for the first time in 20 seasons, so. That is crazy. It didn't feel like it was that long, did it? No, I. but I remember, like, the first UNC team I remember is the Matt Doherty 8-20 uh, yes. team, where I remember they were just absolute garbage. 
Uh, and then it was like two years later that team won the national title. Doherty's guys. He was like the Larry Coker of that program. Um, well, this naturally leads us to the Big 12. You know, Roy Williams. He used to coach at <laughs> Kansas uh, back in the day with Kirk Heinrich and friends. Was Brandon Rush with him? Or was that a Bill Self team? I don't remember. Um, uh, Bill Self. Is that Bill Self? Okay, so it must have just been Heinrich, um, Collison. Who else on that team? Who played Heinrich so and cool? Collison were the big guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a t-shirt team. player back in the, those days. Kirk Heinrich, I always respected his, his t-shirt game. It was him who had the Keith big Keith Langford, that was who I was trying to remember. Who? Keith Langford and oh, Wayne yes. Simeon. Yes, there you go. Um, thought he was going to be a good pro. He he did not turn out to be that. And then Mike Gansey, who I think, is he an assistant coach in Cleveland still? I don't know. He might be. I I'm not sure. I think so. Or he might be in the front office now. I, it's one of the two. But, yeah, he was also a West Virginia basketball player who wore the, the big T under, under his jersey. Um, speaking of the Big 12, West Virginia and Kansas, um, post-NBA draft – Everything's happened. Um, what it, if you had to do a broad paint the broadest of strokes of the Big Twelve, the the quote unquote Big Twelve as it stands right now? I should, I guess we should say. Um, what are you thinking? I was I was about to say, you know, who knows what teams are going to be in this conference four years from now, or even if it's still going to exist. So enjoy this collective while you can, because it's a pretty good conference. Uh, you know, per Ken Palm, really per most college basketball observers, this has been either the best or second best conference in college hoops for eight straight seasons and, you know, largely most of the last 15 years. Uh, I'm not really seeing anything that would change in a ninth season of that. Uh, a broad overview, I think there's three teams with legit day one, night one national title hopes, four more with serious, you know, NCAA tournament, Sweet 16 hopes. And there's only a couple of teams that I would say are outright not really serious uh, postseason contenders. Uh, the funniest portion of the NBA draft part of this, uh, aside from Florida State, who tied with this team for three, no team in all of college basketball had more players picked than the Texas Longhorns. Uh, maybe they can beat a 14 seed uh, next March. Wow. I mean, I uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, Texas, I think, is where we should start right like oh i think they're the most interesting in which tier they are right so if you're doing your we're doing this per conference so your tier by tier breakdown who's in which tiers right now uh i gotta go tier like tier one i mentioned i think there are three legit top eight teams uh kansas texas baylor in that order but fairly interchangeable uh but they're there for different reasons which makes it interesting kansas returns a lot of minutes from last year's three seed uh, and adds a couple of key transfers. We mentioned Remy Martin up top, and we'll get to him in a bit. Um, but the other two are really curious, too. Uh, Texas, uh, by in terms of just like pure points added, I believe, uh, Texas went harder in the transfer market than any other team in America. I think it's going to be a starting lineup where four of the five players are transfers, if I'm remembering correctly, which is really unusual. And then... Um, Baylor, you know, they lost a lot from the title winners. You lose Davion Mitchell, you lose Jared Butler, a couple other key guys. But they still return some key personnel. And obviously, you have a brilliant coach and Scott Drew on your side. So uh, the floor can only be so low there, I would say. Hmm. 
You know who is not in tier one? The Iowa State Cyclones, who has an entire, entirely <laughs> new starting five and head coach going into this year, I believe. Yeah, it's the whole thing there does not feel very good. I know, like, they, um, it, it, it didn't go well for them, obviously, last year. Uh, no Steve Prom anymore. It's now TJ Otzelberger, who I'll have to get his name right before the start of the season because it's kind of hard to remember if it's Otzel or Otzenberger. Uh, but, to be honest, they have the worst roster in the Big 12 by a substantial margin. Yes. Uh, I feel bad for them uh, because it really was not long ago that Iowa State was this super consistent, like, four to six seed every single year program. And it was gone just like that. The the one positive is Tyrese Hunter, right? Yes. And, and the it's funny to think of them this way because, you know, 2018-19 after that season, John Beeline leads for the Cavaliers. One of the first thoughts I had for the Michigan open position was Steve Prom at Iowa State because at that point, those four seasons, it was really consistent and really good, uh, consistently top 20 every year. And at Iowa State, not exactly easy to achieve that. Um, but it crashed really hard really fast there. What about Oklahoma? Because they're like the opposite of this. Where like they are also having a bunch of turnover for the five new starters for them with Porter Moser's inaugural year. But like he's been active on the on the transfer portal front. But like I am curious because they're already recruiting well out of the gate. I mean CJ Nolan will be in there. Um, but I think they're like with Iowa State. There's no possibility for a turnaround. And I think Oklahoma. Yeah, they went 14 and 17 last year weird down year for them i think it's actually way more possible that they bounce right back up do you think so i i actually agree with that i think they the roster is a little bit better than i initially thought still some holes there still a lot of transfer pieces the tanner groves thing is fascinating to me i'm really excited to see how he does uh in big time basketball uh but they're going to be i think for pretty much the whole season, really good on defense because that that was Porter Moser's strength at Loyola. They have a system that really chokes the life out of possessions. Uh, there were a lot, a lot of Loyola possessions where the opponent had to use the full 30 seconds of the clock, which you don't really see happen all that often in college basketball. I know like teams will kind of freeze up from time to time, but in Loyola games that I watched, it happened like seven times a game. Uh, I think like, They'll be really good defensively to start, but I do have a lot of trouble seeing where the points are coming from for them. Yeah, but uh, we'll see. I think he's a really good coach, and I think that was just a, a slam dunk hire. I, I would just not be surprised if they're they're better than expected. I don't know if that's the case with TCU. Like TCU, the most intriguing player with them is Shahada Wells, right? Yeah, T- TCU. Um... You know, I thought Jamie Dixon, that whole thing would work out a little bit better than it has. Maybe he's just a little, you know, past his prime because I really did think he did an amazing job at Pittsburgh. But there's a lot of transfers there and very few returners. Uh, They feel a little more NIT-like to me than a serious NCAA tournament contender. It, It is interesting uh, if I had to take a stab at it, I would say the Big 12 went harder in the transfer market than any other conference, mm-hmm. which is kind of appropriate for a conference that seems to have a lot of transfers out in terms of programs. 
Yeah, Kermit Davis was talking about that. Uh, I was listening to him today. Um, I run with uh, Seth Screener. Very good college basketball podcast. People should listen to it if they have not already. But um, just becoming part of part of the deal. And uh, it is interesting. Like, we focus more on that. And it's like Ole Miss just landed the highest recruit in Ole Miss history this year. So it is interesting that our eyes are no longer entirely tied to who you brought in. It's uh, from the high school level. It's just more of like, who, who'd you go? Nah, but the portal is where our minds go first. Um, I think the biggest drop-off from this conference when I'm doing a big overview is Texas Tech. I'm out on Texas Tech. I'm out on who they landed as their next head coach to replace Beard. It's tough. Texas put pride him away. Beard was an elite coach. Matt McClung was really, really good for them last year. He's gone. Um, Kyle Edwards has gone to Houston. Dude, it's... I. I mean, unless you're a big Calhoun guy, I I don't know. I think this team's going to stink. Like, I think they're going to be an NIT team this year. Do you agree? I am going to disagree a little bit. Okay. I think they're going to be in the tournament. Um, I know they lost Chris Beard, which is obviously horrible. <laughs> Their new coach has a but, terrible record. Everywhere he's been, he's not been good. I know, but the you look at – they actually brought back quite a bit – uh, they went hard in the transfer market, and importantly, from a college basketball perspective, that I think I agree with you. Like three to five years down the line, but for this year specifically, uh, as it stands right now, the entirety of their main like eight to nine man rotation is going to be juniors and seniors. They have a lot, lot of upperclassmen on their roster, um, with uh, Kevin O'Banner from Oral Roberts joining. Uh, this season, which I'm very excited to see. Uh, but Terrence Shannon for them is such an important piece, really has to be huge for them this year because I think like like you're talking uh, like you're talking about, it's really hard to see where the points are going to come from for them. But seeing as Mark Adams did a ton of work on the defensive end with Texas Tech, I think they're still going to be really good defensively this year. But uh, they, they could be the team, that wins, you know, a lot of games, but is just not fun at all to watch. Like that, they could, you know, end up in the NCAA tournament as a seven seed, but you really don't want to watch whoever they play. I, I, I am a believer in this team in the sense that they get in the tournament, but I do have skepticism down the line. Okay, they're just tr- they're trending down, man. I just I can't escape that. I, I'm really worried about this program and the health of it going forward. Um. Is there a chance West Virginia rises to, to the top of the Big 12 next year? Possible. Um, I'm curious to see what they do with replacing Deuce McBride. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't a great loss for them. Uh, but they returned some quality talent. And, you know, the floor at West Virginia is higher than I think a lot of people initially would guess. Uh, you know, the last seven years in Ken Palm, they finished in the top 25 six times. There are very, very few programs in America that can say the same. That's some really good consistency. And to be honest, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't trust Bob Huggins to just run it back again. And, you know, again, it's March. Here comes West Virginia. They're a five seed. You know, it, it, you don't really know how they got there, but they always seem to get there. Mm. Are you like, what is the most intriguing part about Tash Arman for you then? <laughs> there's a lot man i i'm I, I don't know there's they have a lot kind of up in the air whether it's scoring or whether it's going to be who's the you know main lockdown defender taz i would hope ends up being the lead scorer on this team um 
because if it's not him, it's got to be Sean McNeil, and I'm not like super ready to rely on him yet as a high usage guy. Sherman is can be like night one, the main scorer, the main usage driver, um, and you know, it, I would like to see him kind of reclaim. Uh, his NCAA tournament performance, which I thought was really underwhelming on the whole. Uh, he had 20 points across their two NCAA tournament games uh, on 3-for-9 shooting against Moorhead and 4-for-12 against Syracuse. A really disappointing pair of performances that I'm sure, you know, in his return he'll want to make up for. Hmm. Um, 15 seconds on Kansas State, the least interesting team in the Big 12 this year. A lot of minutes back, they look bad. Pretty, they look bad scoring wise. I hope they don't have that Division Two team, Fort Hayes State, scheduled again, because uh, I don't see. I feel like that could actually go worse somehow. So, uh, also just stop scheduling Division Two teams, because mm. in general they're a little bit better than you think. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma State. They don't lose anything really to the portal, but they do lose Cade Cunningham to the draft. Um, they have a five-star on the roster. They bring back a lot of dudes. I think they're going to be okay. Like Avery Anderson, the third is going to be fascinating with them. Um, Rondell Walker, four and five-star like they're loaded. I just, are you a Mike Boynton is going to be the long-term answer here? Or is it just more of the recruiting? Like, I don't, I don't know yet. I think the, the Cowboys are good. I don't know if they're, they belong in that elite status with Kansas and Baylor though. I, I'm I'm still kind of up in the air on him because I thought, you know, last year obviously having Cade was great, but they were somehow I know like they you know, they won the Big Twelve tournament, they won several great games, but it just kind of felt underwhelming at season's end somehow. Like I know Oregon State was kind of the devil magic team who, you know, suddenly for whatever reason teams can't hit open threes against Oregon State, Tennessee included. And, you know, Oklahoma State, like, Cade had his own problems in that game, but I just was not at all impressed with how they defended. Uh, like, their defensive strategies in that game were really baffling. Um, but I think this could actually be maybe a slightly more well-rounded team. Because obviously last year is very Cade-heavy and Cade-focused, but this year's team returns the most minutes of any team in the Big 12. You have... Uh, uh, Anderson back, Walker back, Caleb Boone is there. Uh, Musa Sise from Memphis is a transfer that I really want to see how that works out because he was a highly rated recruit. He has the body and the build to be amazing, and he was a fantastic rebounder for Memphis last year, but he couldn't stay on the court. He committed 5.6 fouls per 40 in uh, AAC play. Mm. Yeah. I'm I'm fascinated. Uh, is Cannon Cunningham still on the staff, or is that a one-year thing? I think he is still on the staff. <laughs> that seems like a deal where they give him the grace period year, and they're like, okay, you know, we need somebody else. To, we need another brother to come in here. Another brother or son or uncle or dad or whatever. Yeah. Um, Which to me, honestly, if you can exploit that consistently as a school, you should just do that over and over. Keep an assistant spot open for the like top five recruits brother or whatever. It's the easiest way to get a great player. It it's not not the worst idea. It's not the worst idea. <laughs> Who'd we get in the Tennessee staff? I don't know. I mean, it really hasn't hurt Tennessee in the recruiting. We've been okay. It, it hasn't no. really been a factor yet. <laughs> 
Um, Texas. Timmy Allen joining the fray. Some questions in the front court, but they were just like this was a team that went twenty five and six last year, and they got a. I think Chris Beard's a better coach than Chuck Smart at this point. I think that's an upgrade. I think where they won in the portal is an upgrade. Losing Kai Jones stinks, but I like this like this group. Like it. Do you do you see them as the biggest dark horse threat to Kansas and Baylor to win the Big Twelve this year? Can you give me like 15 seconds to let my cat out of the room before he drives me up a wall? <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving this in though. I, I love okay. this. The Keep cat, it in. Five, I can't even seconds. hear him. I'll be right back. What he's actually doing, folks, is going to check his notes on the, the Texas Longhorns basketball program. Chris Beard, he's going to watch some TJ Ford tape. The, uh, people forget. You gotta love pets, man. You gotta love pets. <laughs> oh, I was just, uh, I was just guessing what you were doing instead of recording. I was thinking about you, uh, or I was uh, postulating that you were um, watching TJ Ford highlights to prepare talking about <laughs> diving back into that Marcus Aldridge tape. I don't know, um, but yeah, Texas. Texas is a really fascinating team because. That that's a deal where you know, like we've talked about, they have added so many new players. Uh, you know, one I didn't even get to, or two I didn't even get to, in the kind of overview were uh, Dylan DeSue from Vandy and Trey Mitchell from UMass. Those are both pretty big ads. There's Kristen Bishop from Creighton on here too, Devin Askew from Kentucky. Like this is, it's a weird like Avengers type thing they're doing in year one of Chris Beard, where they're like, okay. Here's the transfer market. We're going to go get five of the top seven, and we're going to figure it out by March. Uh, and I kind of respect it. You know, like you mentioned, I can't really tell you night one who would start at the five. Yeah. They have, to my eyes, three different options in Daisu, Mitchell, and Bishop. Uh, I don't know which one of those I'd prefer at the moment. But, you know, any and all of those could be really important pieces to i mean in my eyes a potential top five team that it's it's going to be kentucky-esque to me mm. where probably in november and december it doesn't look like a top five team but when you're in february and march and beard being beard has figured out like his seven or eight guys that's going to be a really hard team to beat it's funny that um after all this you move in the cat would you like to guess who opened the door into the office as your cat exited my dog khaleesi just walked in and wrapped around and hey what's up girl so yeah i I guess our potting schedule we both have to have at least one animal in the room um it's good it's good uh last overview baylor versus kansas who do you give the edge to preseason wise kansas uh they just return a little more uh and i really liked the remy martin transfer i know we've mentioned a few times but he was like for me personally, the lone true bright spot and what I thought was one of the most disappointing teams last year in Arizona State. Uh, good shooter, good overall scorer, but he is hyper-aggressive and hunts for his 24-7, which is kind of an archetype Kansas really needed uh, last year without Devin Dotson on the roster. You you kind of have to have that guy that you know late in games you can go to, you're not worried uh, if he misses, he misses, but you know that he's not going to get down on himself. He's still going to take the next shot. Uh, David McCormick could be that guy, but he's just not as versatile. 
he got way better over the course of last season. Um, I honestly thought a turning point for him was that Tennessee game. Uh, you know, Tennessee blew them out, but I felt like after that game, he was easily Kansas's best player down the stretch. But um, the key there uh, with Kansas versus Baylor is I just think Kansas has a little bit better depth and a little bit better best players. But with Baylor, I, I'm just a sucker for guys like this. Matthew Mayer, uh, I thought was fabulous in his limited minutes. Uh, he kind of, you know, it's hard to earn playing time on the very best team in America, especially when, you know, you have two great players, including, I mean, Mitchell obviously ended up being picked in the lottery, but Jared Butler should have been a first rounder. Uh, watching Mayer step into a bigger role is going to be really cool because he, to me, is sort of an underrated pick for Big 12 Player of the Year if Baylor comes together as like a top 10 team. Hmm. Yeah, Baylor's got talent returning and their entire bench is back. and There'll be some elevated roles, that sort of thing. So I think Baylor's going to be fine. and They're well coached. Um, Big 12 Player of the Year, too, right now. If I had to pick one, I'm going to go Remy Martin. Mm. It's kind of silly to go best player and best team, but historically, uh, the last decade, it's either been the best player in a top three team or last year, the number one overall draft pick. So uh, seeing as there doesn't appear to be any number one pick risk in the Big 12, I've literally seen one mock draft with a Big 12 player in the top 14, and that's Kendall Brown at Baylor. I think it's going to be Remy Martin at the top, followed by uh, Mayer, and then whoever kind of comes out on the top of the pile at Texas, whether it's Marcus Carr, Courtney Ramey, Timmy Allen, or, you know, Trey Mitchell or somebody like that, uh, whoever comes out on top of the pile there, if that, ends up, if that ends up being the best team in the conference and a legit top four team, I could see a Texas player stealing it, but I also could see all of them splitting votes. Was the top of the pile thing at South Park? nod with their extensions today oh i wish no uh, is mm. south park really they're doing like 14 movies i read right something like that and then they get at least four more seasons they're just gonna keep God. going that's insane <laughs> i mean i'm not mad at it i'm still gonna watch i still watch south park i think it's because <laughs> it's just a couple episodes every year it's just like mm. an easy 10 you breeze through it it's funny it's enjoyable and then i move on with my day i didn't watch the whole covid special just couldn't do it mm. there's long. i always wait for like you mentioned there's always like one or two episodes every season that people pick out as mm. the episodes and those are the ones i make sure to go check out yeah absolutely um how many ncaa tournament teams do we get out of this conference this year uh my august 5th take is that seven get in uh obviously all lot. of tier one that is a lot, but they had seven last year. Uh, my, The more interesting question is how many make it to the Sweet 16. They haven't had more than one team make it to the Sweet 16 since 2018. That's two straight tournaments with one Sweet 16 participant. But in both years, that Sweet 16 participant, uh, Texas Tech and Baylor, made the national title game or won it all. Uh, but I think obviously all of Kansas, Baylor, Texas are getting in. Uh, it would be a shocker if any of the three somehow ended up missing it. Um, and I feel good about West Virginia and Oklahoma State getting in. Mm. And then following that, uh, like I mentioned, I think Texas Tech is going to get in this year. Uh, I think they've just got such an old and 
experienced lineup. I know it's a cliche, but it really does work in winning regular season games. Uh, I think that'll help uh, get them over the hump. And then Oklahoma, I'm going to give them the nod. They seem destined to be on the bubble for the entirety of the season. Mm. Um, it's just going to depend who scores for them. Um, but I know, like, we and both know Porter Moser, fantastic basketball coach, elite in my eyes, defensive coach. So I think night one, they're going to be really good on defense. That's going to earn them some key wins. I'm really interested to see if they can bring it together in time to steal a good non-conference win, though, because I checked uh, today because they released their non-conference schedule recently. They got five pretty good games on there. Butler, Auburn, Arkansas, UCF, and Florida, I believe only one of which is at home. Hmm. It's not bad. Now, it's none that you would think of as marquee opponents, but all five are going to be pretty challenging. Hmm. Okay, okay. Well, that's all I've got. Where are we going next week? Uh, let me get through this Kanye West uh, Donda listening party, and then I will let you know where we go. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Big Ten is long overdue, so i got to do yeah. the Big Ten now. Okay. I'm pretty, pretty high on... Uh... On, on the Penn State edition, going NBA, their their coaching search. Huh? It's going to be great. This is the year Penn State. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> this is the year they finally live up to their Ken Palm ranking. Mm-hmm, They've mm-hmm. always gone like 15 and 16, but are ranked 31st at year's end. Yeah. A tradition unlike any other in Happy Valley. More like Mediocre Valley. Am I right, folks? Um, <laughs> people love it. They stay for the comedy. Uh, we can find you on Twitter at Stats by Will. We can find your website at StatsByWill.com. What can we uh, check out from you on the work front this week, Will? Uh, I posted earlier this week a study on if the factors in winning close basketball games, that is games decided by six points or fewer, are any different than all other basketball games. And the answer is both yes and no. Uh, I did about 3,500 words on that on my site, lots of stats. Uh, no pictures this time, sorry, but uh, I think it's pretty interesting, and I've received good feedback on it. So if you like stuff like that, I encourage you to go check it out at statsbywill.com. All right. Well, go do that, Will. I will talk to you about the Big Ten next week. Awesome. Hello, and welcome back to a Thursday night edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined, as I am every Thursday during this offseason, college football offseason, that is, uh, with my good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, it's Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. I'm uh, I'm just ready to talk some ball, sir. I don't know about you. I am very ready to talk some ball. Talk some ball. Is that uh, is that how you say it when you're like, yeah, me and my boys were talking some ball? Is that what you say? Uh, that isn't what I say, but it's uh, it's funny because uh, some buddies of mine at the College Football Hall of Fame, uh, when we worked together, it was um, it was this one dude's like first day. It had to be like his first or second day, and we're like, he's a big Auburn fan, and we're like talking college football or whatever. And my other buddy, who's an Ohio State fan, he they were having some argument, and then eventually the dude's Auburn fan just like. Man, you just you just don't know ball, and it was just like the funniest thing ever. We just all started dying laughing. It was like he wasn't even like dissing him. He was just like, 
I'm like disappointed because you just don't know ball as well as I thought you did. It was just it was uh, it was good shit. It's just been like a, a thing we've said we say to each other all the time now. It's 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 hilarious. Mm. There you go. Just, there you just go. talking ball. Well, speaking of talking ball, we're gonna be talking ball on this podcast. We're gonna be talking college ball, if you will. That's why I came here. Yeah. Um, the I ACC. The ACC to be to be sure. When you were when you were going through your notes this week on on the ACC, Matt, um, what what jumped out to you most? Like, what was the first thing you noticed when you're jogging your memory on last year? Because for me, it was Syracuse finishing behind Duke. I I knew Syracuse had a down year last year. Like, I had that in my brain. This is a, a hot seat year for Dino Babers. I didn't realize they went one and ten last year. I didn't realize they were actually worse than a two and nine Duke. Yeah, seriously. I um I think the ACC I feel like is just one of those conferences that's just so like unpredictable year mm-hmm. year in year out. Like like I think one of the things that jumped out I was like Louisville was four and seven. Like I just remember this positivity around uh, Scott Satterfield after year one, and to see them see them that low in the standings kind of threw me off. Same with Florida State because there seems to be such like positive vibes around them this year and then you look back you're like people are kind of you know they're kind of a dark horse team to make some noise for a lot of people obviously transfer portals big reason for that but like seeing them down at three and six the third to worst team in the acc you're like oh maybe maybe 2021 isn't the year they break through maybe maybe they got some some time yeah that's true and then the but other yeah thing... one in ten one in ten is that stands out for sure well the other one too is like it's funny the way we look at uh north carolina and north carolina state because they finished both eight and four last year devin Leary got hurt obviously and he's back this fall with a full off season um at a with tim beck and tim beck enters his second year as the the wolfpack oc but like dave doran has built a really really good thing there and we went over like the nc state quarterbacks at co-pro but like everyone's just salivating at sam howell and unc and what they did last year and it's like nc state did the same thing and I think I might trust NC State more going into this year. I mean, Sam Howell is going to be great, but Devin Leary, I think, is going to be really good too. Um, I don't know. I think this is is NC is UNC your ACC team because Sam Howell has been compared. His most common NFL comp is Matt Stafford. Really, I do not see. I see like Baker Mayfield. I do not mm. see Matthew Stafford. I feel like Stafford. You got to have like that just ridiculous cannon to, to be Sam compared got to Stafford. I don't know if he's got like that. Baker doesn't have a cannon. cannon. Yeah, like I don't know about the Sam Howell. I don't know about the Stafford. Like uh, someone like Jacob Eason or someone. I feel like or a Drew Locke or somebody. You know that actually like slings that thing. You know, I feel like that's the kind of. I feel like Stafford's that short list arm strength. You know, but um, I think Sam Howell's just he's like the perfect college quarterback, really, and just his ability to kind of improvise, like. That's why I think they're just the sexy pick, you know, over North Carolina State. Because, yeah, that's definitely something I didn't, I didn't even like realize that they had the same record uh, by the end of the season. But um, I think it's just, it's just having maybe the best quarterback in college football on your team just makes you just a lot more exciting coming into the season. Yeah, I just this like the ACC has the best quarterback situation anywhere in in the country right would you say they have the most talented quarterback you know i hadn't thought about it but that's that is a good point like how as as far as just proven talent like Mm -hmm. 
with DJ and Dierrick King and uh, like we said, Sam Howell and Devin Leary just right off the bat. Filter Kovic, Kenny Pickett's been there forever. Like everybody's basically got a good quarterback. It seems Kenny like. Pickett's been there forever, but I mean McKenzie <laughs> no, Milton. He's not actually good. McKenzie Milton, I'll give you that. What is what is um Pickett? He's like well, hold on, touchdowns well, like hold 10 on, picks hold on, like every year. hold on. Kenny Pickett, would you like to guess where he ranked last year uh, among returning ACC quarterbacks where he ranked in average yards per game through the air? Um, what is he, third? Second. Really? Just ahead of Phil Dracovic behind Samuel Howell. I mean, that, how many other returning sto- starters are there in the ACC outside of those? There, Louisville, Tech... Uh, Duke doesn't have theirs. Syracuse, I don't think, does. Uh, Virginia Tech, Burmeister, I guess, technically qualifies. Yeah. Uh, Dear King. Notre Dame's got a new one. I, I hate that Notre Dame's not here. Notre Dame made this conference look a lot better. Like, you just look at it and you're like, man, it would have been nice if Notre Dame just stayed in this conference. I would be higher on them as a whole. And it was also good for the conference. It was fun having Notre Dame in the ACC last year. Yeah, I mean, it was just a way more respectable conference mm-hmm. with Notre Dame up there. Like, it gave it gave the ACC their second legitimate team. It really and it's did. good for the conference. Like, you you know, even if you, they they split and, you know, they, they lose in the regular season, but then, or win in the regular season and then lose in the conference championship. It's like, it was at least a challenging season for Clemson. We haven't seen that in a few years. Yeah. All right, well, let's get in to our preview tonight matt green um we're gonna go alphabetical this week to do our acc preview that means the boston college eagles they were a bowl team last year six and five in year one under jeff halfley i'm a big jeff halfley guy i like where they're going i like frank signetti signetti as their oc um pro style offense they run a pro style system um they are they're good i think this is a team that should go bowling again I think Zay Flowers returning, like that dude had 56 catches for 892 yards and nine TDs last year for them. Phil Dracovic, um, people might Let not Let me stop this. you right there. Zay Flowers is the best player in the ACC. Ooh. I'm telling you right now, this dude is a baller. Like, I, not, not to interrupt your whole thing, but with Zay Flowers on the outside, Phil Dracovic, I feel like just a reliable quarterback in this conference Boston College had three first-team offensive linemen, um, preseason offensive linemen, I feel, preseason all-ACC. And so I feel like Boston College, over-under is set at seven. I'm, I feel like I'm hammering the over for Boston College this year. Like, at Clemson and at Temple are their two biggest, are their only two real road challenges. They get Missouri, Virginia Tech, Florida State, NC State, all at home. I'm I'm all over Boston College this year. I think they're going to be the second best team in the Atlantic this year behind Clemson. Well, can I also tell you <clears throat> what's interesting about them when you look at their schedule last year? They didn't lose any games they should have lost. They won every game they should have won. Like this was just a smart team, and they they had Clemson on the ropes for a long time in that game. I mean, do you remember? Like it was like one of those where like oh is. Boston College going to do this against DJU Leahy, but um, obviously the second half was a different story, but I think they were winning going to the half, if I seem to recall. Um, and they only ended up losing by six on the road at Clemson. They beat Syracuse. They beat Louisville. They beat Tech. They beat Pitt. 
beat Texas State, beat Duke. They lost to North Carolina. They lost to Virginia Tech on the road. Tough place to play, Blacksburg. They lost at Clemson, lost to Notre Dame, and lost at Virginia. They just, they're competent. They're a competent team. And like you said, when you look at the schedule, not really a murderous row. But also, why are they going back-to-back at Clemson? What happened there? Why are they at Clemson again? Is that true? Mm Mm-hmm. The schedule, it does show it that way. Um... That's a good question. I don't. I do not know. Maybe something got messed up with the uh, with the rotation just because of the the all conference schedule. I don't know. That's that's uh, that's weird. But when I look at the schedule, it is a little bit tougher. They got Mizzou in the out of conference, uh, but they do get them at home at Temple. I think they'll be fine. They'll start off three and zero. And you look at the schedule. NC State at home. I've got circled. October 16th. I think that's going to be a big game for them. And then at Louisville. Because when you look down the stretch, like I think their schedule is very winnable. I'm going to join you. I'm going to say the over for them. But they return their entire offensive line. And it's not just like one of those where everybody's returning a lot, but their offensive line was already good and they're returning a lot. And they get Zay Flowers. Like you said, Villager Dukovic, the big thing for him is he's just got to be better when he has pressure. Like he is someone who, for whatever reason, really struggles in that regard. But he is someone who can throw for 300 yards when he needs to. He has the talent, like Brian Kelly. <laughs> Read the quotes that Brian Kelly used to describe Phil Dracovic when he was recruiting him at Notre Dame. Um, I am excited. I think Boston College is absolutely going bowling, and Jeff Halfley's got something pretty solid brewing in uh, Yeah, without a doubt. In like Boston. You pointed the NC State game. Like, if they beat NC State, like, that's after Clemson. Like, they're, what is that, 4-1, and 5-1? and one? Like... If they beat NC State, they're they're gonna be like a nine, maybe even like a ten win team. Like they could be really good this year. But I think I think eight wins is like the floor for them. I think they're I think they're gonna be very solid this year. Mm. They gotta finish drives better. They were eighty two in the country in finishing their drives. Um their explosive play rank was only sixty six last year at five point seven. Um I don't know. We'll we'll see. I think the defense has gotta get a little bit better, uh, especially efficiency wise. They were hundredth in the efficiency margins. Uh, per Athlon Sports. Um, I don't know. I think this is still... They re- they're replacing a lot on defense. But Dracovic's good. Zay Flowers, like you said, is a stud. They lose Bailey, which is a uh, might be a problem, and Hunter Long. But I do see a eight-ish wins for this Boston College Eagles team. Lock it in. Lock it in. Next, the Clemson Tigers. DJ Ugalehi, fresh off his... Um, his uh bojangles advertisement in his apartment did you watch that oh he got bojangles he did nice nice very uncomfortable to watch it was one of those where why are these people giving these kids like it was one of those where this man does not eat bojangles he it was a terrible ad because he was just like (laughs) it was good he's like it's good it was good that was his thing like that's what he's he's in the room with somebody in his apartment he's like it's good it's good that was like the. I have not seen that. That's the review, and I'm like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this is this is not great. Um, but hey, he's an influencer now. I think Bojangles is huge in South Carolina too. I isn't it from there? That my, let's their headquarters are in Charlotte, but okay. I feel like it it may have started. Well, let's see where the first Bojangles was. But you can keep you can keep, <laughs> you can keep going. Um, I'll get back to you on this. I I'm excited because I think this Tigers team like they went undefeated 
um, up until the Notre Dame game. And that was, again, without Trevor Lawrence. They get drubbed by Ohio State in the playoff. But they lose Lawrence. They lose ETN. But they've got talent everywhere. Like Justin Ross, if he's healthy, you got just you got Joseph Nakata, you got AJ Williams, you got Brandon Galloway coming back, you got Lynn J. Dixon. Um the defense though, I think this is gonna be their bread and butter this year. I think the defense should be better than it was a year ago. Um they were fifth. I think there's a real chance this is one of the best defenses in college football this year. Um the schedule's yeah. nice. They have a really, really easy schedule. Like you look at it and I'm like, I have no idea how this team doesn't go twelve and now. Do you get the same sentiment? Well, I mean, the the line is at 11 and a half, right? So it's really, are they going to beat Georgia or are they going to lose to Georgia? So however you bet for Clemson's schedule, you're really just basing it off of one game because they're going to be double-digit favorites in every other game this season. And like you said, this is the best defense in college football. I think hands down. Like not even one of the best. Like I don't even think it's close. Like I think they had, I mean, granted, the ACC isn't, you know the deepest conference but i think they had like six guys on first team uh all acc on defense on just defense alone but that defensive line with breesey and murphy and tyler davis like also the secondary like andrew booth honestly he might be the best corner maybe stingley's probably the best corner in the country but andrew booth is probably gonna be a first team all-american like clemson is just loaded i tend to think under just because like, they didn't go undefeated last year in the regular season. Granted, Notre Dame was in the conference, but I don't know. I um, It's hard for me to pick them to go undefeated, mainly just because of the Georgia game. I just think Georgia's going to be really tough this year. So I'm uh, I'm going to under on Clemson. 11-1 mm. regular season. So who do you who do you like more, Skolaski or Murphy on the defense? Who do you think is the bigger star this year on that side of the ball? Well, I'm Skalaski's like I mean he's like the 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 middle linebacker, right? So mm. I feel like he. I think they, he's outside. I think middle different. is Bale Inspector. Is that right? So I feel like they kind of play different roles. I think mm. Breesy's the best player on the defense. Like Breesy is just it's just ridiculous what he was able to do just from day one on the defensive line. But I think yeah, I think Murphy. I don't even know. They're just their defensive line is just going to wreck everyone they play, and it's uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting. They're probably going to score like forty five points a game. Like be back in the college football playoff. Well, they were number three nationally in scoring at forty three point five points per game, but like you said, it's really a defense because like the defense, the secondary got eaten up last last year. So they were forty first in the nation in uh, giving up passing yards per game. I'm I'm curious. They had a good turnover margin. Um, there's some questions at running back, like first time in a while, like Dixon averaged like 6.6 yards to carry last year. But I am curious to see if it's Kobe Pace. Is it Will Shipley, who is going to be really fun and a pain in the ass in a year That's or two? True. Will Shipley could definitely be the breakout guy. And yeah. look at their schedule at NC State, Boston College at home, Florida State at home. Like those are probably the three toughest games on the ACC and from the ACC perspective. So oh, I would say it's at Pitt as their most difficult ACC game. I'll be honest, I disrespect Pitt more than, like, any other team in the ACC. Like, I don't even, like, remember that they exist. Like, it's it's weird. Like, I feel like you just look up and Pitt is 7-5. Is and five. Like, just, it's what they do. But, I don't know, I just kept circling. Like, every time I looked at Pitt, it was just, it's, it's such a hard game for me to pick. Because I just never know what to expect from them. 
Mm-hmm. Here's a stat for you. The Tigers recorded 46 sacks and 389 pass rushing opportunities last season, getting to the quarterback on an average of once every 8.5 plays, which ranked number three in FBS and led all power five defenses. And this was a young Clemson defense last year. They're going to be even nastier getting to the quarterback, I think. So so are you going over? I'm going over. I think they go undefeated, yes. So let's say they don't. Let's say they lose to Georgia. Mm-hmm. Is Depending on how things happen in college football, say, you know, say Georgia and Alabama get to the SEC championship both undefeated, and then you got Ohio State undefeated, and then an undefeated Oklahoma or something like that, or, like, is there a chance that Clemson doesn't make the playoff simply because they just don't have enough good data points? Like, they might be really good, but if they lose to Georgia and then just don't have any other good teams to play, like, you know, we think uh, an NC State or Boston College can get into the top 25, but... You know, there's no teams really in this conference that are really guaranteed to be up there other than a North Carolina who they should play in the ACC championship most likely. But I wonder if if they lose that game to Georgia, like granted, if Georgia's undefeated, they'll be like number one. So one loss to the number one team in the country isn't like a bad loss or anything. But I just wonder if, you know, maybe just the the, the recent history of Clemson, like we all just know how good they are and they'll get the benefit of the doubt. That's probably the case. But, but I wonder with how, how much the ACC has been disrespected in recent years and Clemson's schedule has been disrespected in recent years. If, if it's a close call, if, if they're not the ones left on the outside looking in, I think they would have to get drubbed by Georgia. Thing like, like a multiple scores or like a 21 point loss like i'm saying what, like you, the ohio state clemson game basically from last year yeah that that could be fair and i don't think i don't think anyone sees that happening i think this game is going to be an absolute just battle we'll see let's hope not clemson by a thousand um for <laughs> state um they're next up Everyone, like you said, they were actually one of the worst teams in the ACC last year, but they're recruiting their ass off. Like, they're going to have a top five recruiting class next year, it looks like. Um, Norvell's doing work on the transfer portal. But there's just... Travis Hunter, now the number one player in the country with Quinn Ewers reclassifying. Mm -hmm. The corner, and he's... he's Should we have said that at the start of the show? Has that happened since the last time we were on here? Quinn Ewers reclassifying? Huge news. It's huge news, but he's not doing anything. Like it's not. He's he he was faced with that all too difficult decision: a million dollars or nothing. Senior year in high school, or make seven figures. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I say that like it's a no brainer, but senior year in high school was some great times, and I imagine no, it wasn't. being what? a hot shot. The hot shot like quarterback on campus, I imagine senior of high school is an awesome time. Winning state championships, all that stuff. I imagine those are great times. But uh, you know, can't say no to the money, man. No. No. Because it's also the other thing is like year? you never know if an injury's gonna happen. It takes one. Jason Street, Friday Night Lights. Takes one. Get sure. that money now, man. You never know. 
You could get, True like, that. this brings it up to Mackenzie Melton. Look at where he was going to go and look at his career trajectory if he doesn't have no, that no, Christmas. No, I'm not, I'm not blaming him at all. I'm just saying, like, I said it like it was a no-brainer. But, honestly, just your friends and people you grew up with, like, it would, you would feel, like, some kind of way about kind of bouncing on your team. Like, I mean, and shoot, the high school season starts earlier than the college season. So the, their first game was probably, like, next week or something. Like, that's that's got to be a, a little bit of a tough decision to make. Where would you no, guess? You don't you don't think so? No, I don't think so. It would be pretty easy for me. <laughs> um where would I guess? Where would you guess Florida State ranked offensively in efficiency last year? Oh man, like all 100? FBS. Probably like a hundred, right? Eighty third. Oh. In explosive plays, that, where do bad? they rank? Um ninety third. 76th like it, for them to have a huge breakout year like mckenzie milton's gonna immediately be a heisman guy like that's the only way you're making that big of a jump like this offense was bad last year this defense was bad last year they replace a bunch of dudes on defense they bring back most of their offensive line they have a freshman starting at left tackle it looks like in darius washington so we'll see there um ontario wilson is back uh outside but i don't know like jishan corbin probably won't start at rb like i this schedule the one thing that I like about it is their schedule is so really not bad. Ahead of uh, Jay Sean Corbin, what about I mean, him? He was voted like first team All ACC. Well, Lawrence Toafiel has more talent, and looks like he he might okay. get the majority of the reps there. But the line is at five and a half. Mm. And I feel like that's a that's a generous line. Like I feel like generous in terms of like you. I think they should definitely be a bold, a bold team. Like six wins seems like the worst this team can do. I mean, just going down the schedule and looking at like Notre Dame in the first game, first game, like that's definitely going to be one of the tougher ones. But you know, Jacksonville State at Wake Forest, Louisville, Syracuse. You know, the the toughest games are at UNC and at Clemson, and then you got Miami at home, NC State, like at florida like there's definitely some tough games on the schedule at boston college but it feels like this team can win six games hmm i just i just read i just read a lot of losses though honestly like, well, what's also terrifying doing, like clemson north carolina florida and maybe even boston college i would kind of i would kind of put those four losses right off the bat and then nc state and and miami at home like that's where it they could lose all six of those games and and still finish six and six though. I'm going over on FSU personally. What is it? Five and a half. Five, five and a half. All right, let me give you the losses and tell me how many losses this is. Okay. Okay. Notre Dame at UNC at Clemson, NC State, Miami at Boston College at Florida. That's seven losses right there. Okay. Yeah, they're not, I, and that's being generous. So that's but see that's all the toss up games. So you don't think they're gonna win one toss up game? No, because I think there's a possibility they lose at Wake. I mean, they upset like when North Carolina was like top five last year, right? Mm-hmm. They did. So, I mean, things happen, and I think Mackenzie Milton like this is gonna be a completely different team. I I think it's it's not like outlandish to think they're gonna win like two of their like seven swing games you know i think but uh, i also I think, think there's a chance they lose one of those other ones like louisville at home they lost a tech at home to open last year <laughs> that's a valid point at wake forest or something like that mm-hmm. it's definitely possible 
But um, I'm, but they're getting more talent. Like Malik McLean's in there, and he's going to be really good wide out. Like he's a he's a big name. Amari Gaynor's back on defense. Like they have dudes. Like they have. I mean, losing Asante Samuel Jr. is going to hurt. But like they got blown out in their losses. Like they weren't even close. Matt, like they lost to Miami fifty-two to ten. They lost to Notre Dame 26 They lost to Louisville forty-eight to sixteen. When they when this team loses, they get blown out. I just don't think he so fixed that in the year. Okay, Mike Norvell, you're not a believer. No, I am. He's recruiting his ass off. Like it's just a long rebuild, I and I think people just want to year two. That, that that is true. Florida State, the name makes us all kind of want to want them to be back. But I might have to pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah, just give it time. He's I think he's a good coach. But I think he's doing six good. And six. At the same time, six and six isn't a great season. So I think I think six and six, that's what they gotta do for you to win that bet. I'm, I'm taking I'm taking Florida State. I'm gonna go under. Pencil you in for the under. Louisville, a team that went where did they go? Four and seven last year. Scott Satterfield flirted with the South Carolina job. Fan base I don't think it's all the way back in on Satterfield. He still doesn't seem long for that program. This program, just it's just like Jeff Brom going to stay at Purdue because Purdue just kept offering more money until he couldn't say no. And... You, you cannot get past Jeff Brom. No. <laughs> well, he's a good coach, and he just made a mistake. Like I'm just like, what? Just go back to Louisville. It's a better job. You can win there. People love you. Just It's one of those obvious ones where I'm like, I get the money at Purdue, but like you're going to get fired. Like There's no possibility you can win. Purdue's just almost unwinnable. Louisville, yeah, you can sure. win. You can go to the Sugar Bowl at Louisville. Um, he is a good coach, though. 63 and 36 in eight years at HC. Um, Malik Cunningham, though, took a step back. Everything comes down to Malik Cunningham. I think the schedule's not bad. They get Clemson at home. They get Kentucky at home. They get Boston College at home. They get UCF at home. Um, the opener against Ole Miss is going to be extremely fascinating. It's the Dome, right? Yeah, or in the Mercedes Benz, at least. Yeah, I'm not calling it they, that. Uh, it's the dumb. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, that's the B game, the the Chick Fil A B game. Mm-hmm. That's always on that like Labor Day, Labor Day, right? I always get Memorial Day and Labor Day confused. It's Labor Day week. Well, Tennessee will be there with Syracuse in a couple of years. Oh my God, that's I heard. I remember someone saying I saw like a, a tweet that was like the first Chick Fil A kickoff game that'll be on the SEC network or something <laughs> like that, like on the SEC Plus <laughs> network. Yeah, like, I don't understand how that game's a kickoff, unless maybe some of these bigger programs are, like, we've kind of seen getting away from the neutral side of games, but um, that'll be nice. Ole Miss, Louisville, just that, that Monday night after that, that first weekend of college football, that'll be a nice nice little little extra dose in there. So, uh, after getting Miami and, and Alabama on, on Saturday night. Yeah. Well, they replace their entire wide receiver over room. Under, Over-unders at seven, though. I don't like that at all. This team stunk last year. Like, they took a big step back. But then I look at the schedule, and I'm like, ah, this is a really, really nice schedule for them. I don't know. What are you, where are you leaning with them? Yeah, I look at, like, Ole Miss. Like, I feel like Ole Miss is one of those teams. You just can't, like, you can't guarantee anything from Ole Miss. They're just one of those teams that, yeah, they might score 45 a week but they might give up 46 a week you know you just don't really know what you're gonna get and but i think i'm definitely gonna gonna pick ole miss to win that game and then you look at at fsu and at nc state those are another couple tough ones ucf is a really interesting one so like out of conference just having games like ole miss and ucf like 
there's no real cheap wins on this schedule. Like Eastern Kentucky you got, and that's about it. So I'm I'm tending to lean under. Like I was kind of feeling Louisville coming into last year after the eight and five season, but uh just a real they just laid a real egg last year, and I'm not sure how much better they get with Malik Cunningham still at quarterback. Like I don't know how different this team is. Like I mean, they might be a bowl game. They might be a bowl team, but I don't. I don't see them winning more than seven games. I'm going under. I'm going to go under too. They lost their OC to the Falcons. Actually, Mr. Ledford and Satterfield's just taking over. It's a big commitment. He, it's like one of those where I'll, I'll call the offense. He's doing the Gus Malzahn thing, where he's like, "I got it. I got it for a year." And you're like, "Do you got it? Are you sure you've got it? Is that uh, what we got to do here?" So I don't know. I'm going to say under. And I think uh, six and six, five and seven feels about right. Um, yeah, let's go. Under. It feels like a five and seven team. Next up, who is it? Uh, next up, we got NC State. Mm. Oh wait, no, no. I'm looking at the wrong. I'm looking at the division. Next up, we have Miami. Yeah. Miami's and, like the uh, team that <sighs> I like Miami a lot. I think Miami is going to be. One of the better teams with D.R. King entering his... I mean, we're just penciling in D.R. King being healthy, right? Like, he's going to be fine? Is that what we're doing? I guess so. I think that's that's what everyone else seems to be doing. Mm-hmm. But they return everybody on offense, basically. Cameron Harris is back. Will Mallory's back. D. Wiggins, Mike Hartley, Mark Pope. You got Charleston Rambo in there. You got talent all across the board. Um, I... Derek King was a Heisman candidate. Like he threw for twenty three touchdowns, five picks last year. Um, he was just really, really good. But then you look at after the injury. But then you look at the numbers too. Like Rhett Lashley's calling this group, and we'll see. Um, but like their numbers weren't eye popping. Like the scoring was there, twenty six nationally, but rushing they weren't great, sixty seventh. And then you look, you know, at their explosiveness, fortieth in the country, finishing drives. They were really elite there at twenty third. But then efficiency. 78th i don't know i don't know how much of that is clouded by what happened um after he went down but um i don't know i am curious to see how zion nelson does at left tackle in his second year the schedule though not bad it's not that bad what about you see the schedule is not bad but it's not that great either like just nine and a half is a that's a high number like so opening up with Alabama like that's just an automatic L like that's just I'm not even considering Miami upsetting Alabama in the opener so and then so after that so to in order to go over they can only lose one game in the ACC and I just don't see this team running through the ACC with just one loss like I just it feels like this feels like a nine and three team like at best to me like I just yeah, at home, you got Virginia Tech, NC State, and Michigan State. On the road, Florida State, UNC, and Pitt. I just don't see them losing just one of those games. Like, I think, like, if you didn't have... And then Appalachian State at a conference, like, I don't think they're going to beat Miami. Oh, but, don't do that. But I'm just saying, like, Alabama, Appalachian State, and Michigan State, like, that's that's not... you. I don't even know who CCSU you is. What what team is that? Is it Corpus Christi or something? I don't know. I actually don't even know who that is either. Charl- I, no, I was going to say, like, Charleston Southern, but I don't... I actually have no idea. Coastal Carolina? 
State? Central Connecticut. Okay. That is. But, um, yeah, so that's not a gimme at a conference schedule. So I just don't see them – like, I would probably pick today North Carolina and, and Alabama beating them. Like, obviously, I'd pick Alabama beating them. But I just – I don't see them going through this ACC schedule with just one loss. So I'm going under. And it was nine? Nine and a half. <sighs> I'm going under because I think nine sounds right, too. Yeah, this feels like a 9-3 and three team. It, it really depends on just how high are you on De'Ara King. Like, if you think De'Ara King's going to legit be in the Heisman ceremony, then, yeah, you're going to go over. But he's a good player. I don't know if he takes Miami to that kind of level. North Carolina. I was going to say, we're jumping all around. We totally skipped teams. <laughs> I was uh, I started in the Coastal. I was going alphabetical in the Coastal, and then I just, like, jumped. So he skipped Duke. If you mm. want to go back to Duke. So, Duke so I think at- I, I, my list was by division two in alphabetical order. <laughs> yeah, so I, that's how we were doing it at first. Well, let's do NC State then. Let's just move through. Okay, and let's go uh, back there. Let's go back to the uh, Atlantic. So, mm. yeah, NC State over and un- over under at six. Oh, this is the easiest one in the in the whole conference. It's over. I agree. I that, This is even more than Boston College. I would hammer this one. That being said, at Mississippi State, USF, who's improving a little bit. Jeff Scott, Clemson, Louisiana Tech's a good team. Like, there's there's a lot of tricky games in this schedule. At Boston College, at Miami, at FSU, at Wake, North Carolina to end. It's a difficult schedule. Now, South Florida, they were terrible last year, mm-hmm. right? So, okay, so you're not counting those as one of the tough games. No, you? I'm saying it's just Jeff Scott got a lot of transfers, and he's – He's doing some stuff. They're not going to be as bad as they were a year ago. They're not going to win, but they're going to be competitive. NC State's had a winning record in six of the last seven years. Mm. And, like, that doesn't sound that impressive, but the ACC just seems to be one of the just just hot and cold conferences. It seems like teams can just be so inconsistent. So I feel like they're one of the most consistent team programs in this conference, for sure. And I just feel like six wins seems easy. Like... I see a North Carolina at home uh, to end the season. Like going at Florida State could be tough. Going at Miami, at Boston College, and then Clemson at home. And like you said, Mississippi State uh, in Starkville. Like there's a few losses on that schedule, but this this feels like a seven and five, maybe even like an eight and four team. Mm. Devin Leary's gonna be really good. Yeah, I like Devin Leary as well. And I just Bam think, Knight is a great running back name too. Yes, I agree. And he was, you know, he could be one of the best running back. He could be a first team all ACC running back this year. I I definitely think. I agree. Syracuse, is there any chance? They are no. not under. Under. I don't even know what the number is. Under. <laughs> no, the number is three and a half. And if you just look at their at a conference schedule, at Ohio. Athens, Ohio, represent Joe Burrow. Um, at Ohio, Rutgers, Albany, and Liberty. Like, you're not winning three of those <laughs> at a conference games. You might not win two. Like, you're, you're, I would hope they beat Albany. And, but Liberty and maybe Ohio, like, those are probably losses. And I wouldn't be surprised if Rutgers beat them. Like, I don't know. I don't know where these wins are going to come on their on their schedule. I definitely don't see four wins happening. I uh, I'm going under for Syracuse. I'm going to go under. 
this team stinks yeah they're terrible this is probably it for them like are you a big tommy devito guy no 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 i'm I'm not. not a big tommy devito guy did you know they were 125th in offensive efficiency last year oh wow that's was there even about 130 teams playing last year oh god so do you know how many touchdowns they scored last year total this is offense and defense oh man what like eight 24 total touchdowns oh okay 24 that's insane it's not good this team's awful sorry dino babers this is probably it for you my man um wake forest no riley skinner here just sam hartman back to throw 93 more interceptions in his next bowl game six and a half is the uh the line on this one Mm. I feel like Wake Forest goes six and six every year. That's exactly what I was thinking. They just <laughs> feel like they just feel like a six and six team. Like I was, like I feel like they're they're low key respectable in recent years, you know. But I, uh, it feels it feels like a six and six. Like on, I gotta give them credit. Before last year, they're four and five. I mean, they were on four straight seven plus win seasons in a row. So. I don't want to disrespect what Dave Clawson's built, but uh, just looking at the schedule, out of conference isn't too tough. I mean, you got Old Dominion, Norfolk State, and Army. Like you should beat all of those teams, or Army should be a win, right? Army's pretty solid, I guess. But um, in the conference, just uh, having to go at Clemson, you know, at North Carolina, they're not one of the teams that avoids those teams. So at Boston College. I just it feels like you like we said this feels like a six and six team. Going to Army where we're going to get confused looking at both teams go up against each other. <laughs> this will like like a spring game. Um, fun fact for you from Athlon at Sports. At West Point, Mitchie Stadium. You don't just go into Mitchie Stadium <laughs> and come out with a win. Um, they are twenty five and thirteen, and so in Wake Forest, um five bowl seasons wake forest is 25 and 13 before november 3rd and 6 and 12 in the regular season after that including one and five the last two seasons wow yeah in 2017 to 19 the deacons had the three best seasons in school history for total yards and points scored also the most dave clausen stat of all time last year they had a 98.6 uh snaps between turnovers that led the nation Wow, and I've uh, how's Jamie Newman doing? Is he still there? No, he's not. That that wasn't necessary. That was hurtful. <laughs> um, so what's the over on this one? Is it six or six and a half? Six and a half. Uh, give me the under. I'm going under as well. We're uh, agreeing a little too much in the coastal. Mm. Let's see. We we disagreed on uh, on Clemson and Florida State, and that's it. In the coast or in the Atlantic, I should say. Not that the divisions matter in this conference. Mm-hmm. Duke. <laughs> All right, so, so that's the last of the uh, of the Atlantic. Now to the coastal. Mm-hmm. So Duke, like you said, over under three and a half for Duke. Out of conference, they have Charlotte, North Carolina A and T, Northwestern, and then get yourself ready for the game of the century on September twenty fifth. <laughs> The Kansas Jayhawks are coming to town. Mm-hmm. Wallace Wade Stadium. I mean, you better start camping outside of Shashevskyville now 
if you want to get a seat to that game. That's all I'm saying. Kansas and Duke, big time stuff. Two blue blood programs in this sport. Mateo Durant's oh, good though. Oh wait, this is this is this is football. Never mind. I like Mateo Durant. So Chase Duke, Bryce is not under center, which is a plus for them. So you you liking Duke this year over three and a half? No, I'm 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 going. Uh, hold on, Charlotte, North Carolina, and T, Kansas. Oh God, I can see four wins. Give I me over. Western, I'm saying, is a loss. But Give they me could over. go 3-1 at a conference. Like, Kansas is terrible, but Duke is also not good. But um, how is Charlotte? They could beat Georgia Tech at home. Charlotte, were they good? They're okay. Will Healy's over there. He was rumored to be in the mix for the Tennessee job. They're okay. So that might not be an easy one either. Especially uh, going to Jerry Richardson Stadium. I mean... You don't just go into Jerry Richardson Stadium and pull out the dub, all right? You sh- it's not done. The Blue Devils why, lost 20 fumbles, and Duke quarterbacks were intercepted 19 times in 2020. That was that, that led the nation. But why do these Power 5 teams go on the road to some of these smaller schools? Like, why would you do this to yourself? I mean, Georgia should do it. Georgia should go play at Georgia Southern. Why? That would <laughs> That's a terrible idea. Like... <laughs> There's no reason. So instead of 90,000 people watching this game, there'll be like 20,000? That's a terrible idea. Like, mm. I mean, I just don't understand. Like, Duke is above Charlotte. Why are they going at Charlotte? Like, I feel like you're just asking for this to be like this school's Super Bowl. Like the like what happened with Virginia Tech and Old Dominion a few years back. Yeah. Like, don't even set yourself <laughs> up for that. Like, I don't understand. Who do we say is going at Ohio? Like, Syracuse playing at Ohio? Like, you're going to lose that game. Like, I don't know. I don't get it. Duke obviously isn't a big-time program as far as football goes, but you're you're ACC. You're, you're better than Charlotte. Yeah. Georgia Tech. Toughest schedule in college football. Ooh, man. Um, I don't know about that. But there's a lot of losses on that schedule. <laughs> there's no guaranteed win on this schedule. That's how I booked it. There's not one guaranteed win. Let me see. Let me see this. So, obviously, you got Clemson and Georgia. You got Kennesaw State. Kennesaw can win that. <laughs> but you didn't know they can. Yes, they can. Kennesaw can absolutely win at Tech this fall. What about the Northern Illinois? Can they? Yes, Northern Illinois is not bad. Yeah, you could be right. I think I'm definitely going under on this one. You said under on Duke, or did you go over? Over on Duke, and I'm going to go under on Tech. Okay, I'm going under on Tech as well. Like you said, at Clemson, at Notre Dame, at Miami, have Georgia, North Carolina, Boston College, and Virginia Tech all at home. The one huge – this is my hot take about Georgia Tech in 2021, all right? They are going to absolutely embarrass themselves. (laughs) on september 25th do you know what happens on september 25th north carolina but not only north carolina do you know where this game is being played charlotte (laughs) (laughs) close mercedes-benz stadium wait is it instead of the fifty-five thousand bobby dodd stadium that you already don't fill you're now going to play in 70-something thousand Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and that thing is going to be halfway full. It's going to look like the GHSA state playoffs. 
were just like the first row or the first no one's in the upper deck you know unless north carolina like shows out for this game which they could they have a big Mm -hmm. time uh big time team this year but even that's gonna be worse you know you're in your own city in this huge stadium and you're outnumbered by the team from a couple states away like i just feel like it's gonna be so embarrassing like when they came up with this idea to have like one game a year at mercedes-benz stadium for the next few years like i feel like you know jeff collins is like selling the atl like repping the atl and i've, I've said for years that's what georgia tech needs to do like it's like the big, best recruiting pitch they have so many so many recruits want to come down to atlanta like it's just an awesome city and i feel like they just i don't know like they they out they out kick their coverage i guess like for lack of a better term like they just bring that bring that atmosphere to bobby dodd stadium bring that bring the fans let them pack out the 55,000 seat stadium before you go into mercedes-benz stadium like i just think it's going to be not a good look for the program moving forward like i don't know that's just that's my take yeah um, North Carolina, Sam Howell, Ty Chandler transferred over here. They're talking themselves into it. I'm reading pieces on that. And it's like, oh, uh, because of the Williams and the, the, the dual tailback situation at UNT last year, it's going to be great. Uh, no, he's not. Ty Chandler is n- – have fun, North Carolina. Having watched every Ty Chandler snap last year, um, have fun with that. Uh, but this offense is elite. They were ninth nationally in scoring. 11th in rushing they're just fifth overall like they were just a well-balanced machine i i still don't know i look at this schedule it's weird they open up at vatech and that's a sneaky one right there right season like, opener that's their super bowl Justin Friday Fuente night. Tra- those ah something makes i worry about those road games uh, on weekdays well they lose dumb games remember mac brown lost to virginia and florida state last year yeah, that's true. I um I think you're alluding to it, but that's kind of where I was going to go too. Like on top of that, you don't have Clemson on the schedule, but at Virginia Tech, at Notre Dame, at Pitt, at NC State, there's a couple tough ones on there. Like I think Sam Howell if you're asking me today, like I would rather have Sam Howell than Spencer Rattler. I think Sam Howell is the best quarterback in college football. But like they had a dynamic offense last year, but to lose both of those running backs and to lose the top two receivers, like I worry that North Carolina can't put up the same type of numbers they did last year. And if you're going over and under at ten, like I think like what's more likely for North Carolina to go eleven and one or to go nine and three? Like it's way more likely to go nine and three. Yeah. And so that's why I'm going under. Like nine and three is a very good team. But are we really going to look up on, you know, what is it, December 4th and North Carolina is 11-1 and one, ranked number six in the country? Like, that just feels like just a little too much. I just don't see it. I don't either. But I do think Sam Howell is probably the, the favorite to win the Heisman. I think he's going to put up bonkers numbers. He's got his high school teammate uh, coming in there. Did you see that? Can he, can he win a Heisman on a 9-3 and three team? I don't know. I think 10-2. and two. 11 and 1 he can i i feel like this is a 10 and 2 team for Mm -hmm. the record like but as far as having to go over or under that's why i would go under i I think i think they're going to be 10 and 2 be in the acc championship as like number number 12 or something like that like a really respectable season probably what 10 and 3 or 11 and 3 what's the the over under 
Just 10. I'm going to say under. You're going under as well. All right. We haven't disagreed in the Coastal so far. Next up, we got Pitt. Over What's their over-under? Seven. Oh, and God. I was going to say seven I, and five. I feel like Pitt is a seven and five team every year. And so I literally looked this up, and they have won between six and eight games 10 of the last 11 years. Like, that's incredible <laughs> consistency. Like, and I just... Also, the way they did their schedule last year, they went six and five. They won... Win, 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 loss, 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 win, win, loss, win. <laughs> yeah, I just, you have no idea what you're getting with Pitt. Like, going at Knoxville, or going at Tennessee and Knoxville, like, uh, I just, I don't know. They don't, it's, they, they won't be able to score enough. Joe Milton's going to be lightning on like, fire. Is Pickett really the guy that's going to say they win over seven games? Like, like this one too, like we said, North Carolina. I, I feel like this is exactly on like i feel like they are going to be a seven and five team but um if i'm saying what's more likely eight and four or six and six i'm going to put them at a six and six we agree two more the virginia schools virginia is a over under at six <laughs> all right i'm gonna do their schedule are you ready yeah do it william and mary win illinois at home loss at UNC, loss. Wake at home, win. At Miami, loss. At Louisville, loss. Duke at home, win. Tech at home, win. At BYU, win. Mm. Notre Dame at home, loss. At Pitt, loss. At Vautech, or Vautech at home, win. So what is that? That's the 6-6 six and six team right there. Mm-hmm. And it's six solid. I you gave him that Virginia Tech win at the end. Mm. I'm I'm not giving him that one. I'm give, I'm going under. It's at six. Yeah, no hook. Mm. I guess I'm gonna go over. Oh, going over. Our first disagreement in the coastal. Bring Armstrong back. Billy Kemp the fourth out wide. They got talent on defense. I. <sighs> Bronco Mendenhall. I'm trusting you right you're here. I'm a, trusting you. I was going to say, you're a Bronco Mendenhall guy. He's good, man. People forget. He's 129 and 75 in his 16 years as a coach. Um, Vodtech, last he's one. So if I'm going to go over on the Who's, then I got to go under on the Hokies, right? Um, well, they're at over under seven. Oh, yeah. Under. Pound it. Done. Pound it. Really? So I'm looking at this schedule... Like, where are the losses? North like, Carolina. North Carolina. West Virginia on the road. At West Virginia, is that definitely a loss? Notre Dame. Notre Dame in Blacksburg. Like, I don't know that that's a loss. Pitt in Blacksburg. Boston College on the road. At, at Miami. Yeah. Like, there's not... I think I'm, I think this team goes over. I think they go 8-4. and four. I think this saves Justin Fuente's job. Like, I think... I think part of it's the benefit of the schedule. I just don't know that it's that tough. I don't know what to expect from West Virginia this year, to be honest. Like they're generally a, a, a team you can you can count on, but like th- they might go undefeated at a conference. Like it's not a tough slate. So I, I think Virginia Tech barely does enough for Justin Fuente to keep his job. Gets that eight and four season. Like should he keep his job at eight and four? I don't really know, but I feel like he will keep his job at eight and four just because it's. 
I don't know, a step in the right direction. But I feel like he wants another job. And also, you can have your eight wins with Braxton Burmeister. Like, I am not a Braxton Burmeister believer at all. He looked awful last year. Yeah, but they had a good running game. I uh, That was Hidden Hooker. That's, that was a big part of it. That's true. I don't know. I want to I want to I want to tr- trust uh Justin Fuente. I feel like I don't know. I'm I'm a I'm a believer. I think they'll I think they'll go 8 and 4. 8 and 4 is not good by any means. You know what I mean? It's just I think it's just enough to keep his job. Like, Losing Cleo Herbert, man. He was their best offensive player last year. I I don't know. I am not in on Virginia Tech. I, I well, think that- I I think the only automatic losses on this schedule are North Carolina, Miami, and I would probably put Boston College as a loss too. Like that's just three in a twelve game schedule. Like I think uh, I think they got some wiggle room with that with that over and under at seven. So I'm going over. You're saying under. You're pounding the under. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's the ACC, my friend. We got a couple disagreements here. Let's see. We got we got Clemson and NC State. No, Clemson and FSU in the Atlantic, and uh, we disagree on Virginia and Virginia Tech in the Coastal. So there you go. Should make things interesting. We know who we'll be rooting for this fall in the ACC. When we're watching these games, we're recapping them. We're we're gonna be keeping up with this. You got to keep that handy when we're doing games this fall. Oh yeah, I got a I got an excellent Excel spreadsheet already set up. I got our over and unders, the Pac-12. Like I'm ready to, I'm ready to. I had the column already set up for the 2021 for the actual wins, like the over under total than the actual total. So we uh, let's see, we disagreed on one, two, three, four, five of the 12 teams in the Pac-12. Okay, and then four of the 14 in the ACC. So. Some solid disagreements make things interesting. Big Ten next week. You're gonna miss one of these on September 4th, like when when uh, when Clemson loses the opener. You're gonna lose that one right there. Okay, that's that's enough. <laughs> so that's uh, enough. you're saying what do you want to do next week? Big twelve, Big Twelve, Big Ten. Big Ten. Big Ten. Let's do it. All right, because I think it, it's only fitting to wrap up with the Big Twelve and SEC. Nice little segue there. Mm-hmm. Man, I I just don't like it, man. I'm a I'm a traditionalist. Like I don't know. I think I'm the perfect amount of traditionalist. Like I'm not I'm not afraid of teams changing their uniforms, players, you know, doing all like doing the things they want to do. Let the kids have fun like they say. But there's certain traditions you, need, you do need to keep. And these conferences, I don't know, these conference traditions like these rivalries, these regional rivalries these all mean something so i hope i hope this sport isn't unrecognizable in the next five years you know what i mean i just there's a lot of these good traditional conference rivalries and then expanding the playoff i feel like just made it so that more of these teams are playing each other and it made a more national sport it seemed like a good thing i'm i'm so i'm so worried about this this whole these t- super conferences or whatever's on the on the horizon for college football yeah we shall see matt green we shall see let's let it play out let's let it play out um for that guy down there to kill georgia matt green you can follow him at twitter at matt underscore w underscore green uh matt keep up the great work sir and uh be ready big 10 next week talk to you soon buddy yes sir
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.